Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. Today with me, a very special guest. Been in contact with this gentleman for quite a while now and recently invited him on the podcast. I think his story is interesting and his dynamic is really cool and he is taking off in the law enforcement community. And I know that uh, we have many mutual friends. I know you're doing a lot with Adam Hadari. And uh, this is Jay Wadsworth. And here's a guy that you may see at a bar and try to fuck with him. I pace some very, very, very heavy dues for poking a, a beehive that you had no idea the size of the wasps that were inside. So without further ado, Jay Wadsworth. Hey, guys, what's going on? So, dude, so, just yeah. give us a little um, a little insight as to who you are, your law enforcement career, anything you want to talk about, and then we'll go into the dynamic of expanding upon that. All right. So uh, my name is Jay Wadsworth. I work for a city police department in western New York called Jamestown, New York. It's a middle middle to medium-sized department. Uh, we're extremely busy. It's uh, very low poverty, as you can imagine, uh, being in western New York. But uh, I've, I've been out for 20 years now. I can retire in 14 months. I would have retired actually last March, but I went to Texas for two years uh, in 07 and 08. So I have to finish that two years out here. Or I'd already be retired. But I kind of was was at, like an athlete in uh, high school playing collegiately uh, soccer. And when I got out, went to the academy after college and about six months into the job was like, I need to learn how to fight. I need to learn how to control people. I never really wrestled much uh, in high school. I wrestled uh, in grade school up through middle school, but not much in high school. So I just started you know, looking for different places to train. And in Western New York, uh, at that time, there was no Brazilian jiu-jitsu. There was no black belts uh, anywhere near here. So we just started getting a group of guys together, found some mat spaces, whether it was at the local Y, eventually ended up buying a uh, wrestling mat that was used and threw it together and uh, started training early in my career on my own. Uh, Ended up becoming a SWAT team member in 2008 and 2010, uh, became assistant TL, now I'm a TL on the team, uh, one of the training coordinators. Got into defensive tactics uh, when I was a blue belt. I got my certification in DT and just realized how poor uh, the training was. You know, did the 80 hours, just got my mouth shut, went through it, got the cert. But it, it was just ineffective training, uh, things that we don't use, not realistic. And I was lucky enough, fortunate for me, our chief of police got appointed Right around the same time, I got my DT instructor. He was a military guy, big wrestler, and he told me to take the DT program and run with it. He didn't care what the state certification and curriculum was. He wanted to do our own DT program and uh, implement training more than just in the academy. And we started uh, implementing training twice a year to start, uh, which is about two times more a year of hands-on than most departments at that time. And that's kind of where I started. I just started building curriculum. And in the beginning, it was really jujitsu defensive based uh, because I didn't know any better. And 
I, I've reversed engineered a lot of stuff between now and then. And basically my passion and my whole life's revolved around training Brazilian jiu-jitsu, fighting MMA, building my wrestling skill set, and uh, figuring out how to properly integrate those into the world of weapons, which is basically what law enforcement officers do. We take a bunch of weapons to every fight we're in, and uh, we don't know what the bad guy is. So those are those are the the big things that I feel like I try to study what works, what doesn't, and what should we be doing compared to what the sport of those are doing. So like, um, that's a little bit about me to start. Got my black belt in jujitsu in 2015 under Julio Fernandez. I uh, retired from fighting MMA in 2012. And um, I had about 18 cage fights at that point. I had 10 AMEs, three pros that were sanctioned, and then five unsanctioned uh, pro fights uh, in New York on the reservation prior to uh, that becoming legal here. So uh, I have a significant background in uh, one-on-one combat. Um, again, that differs when we put uh, the rules that the cops have to follow as far as case law and state laws and uh, use of force, and there's no weapons involved, and it's one-on-one. And um, So that, that still helps me. Uh, the big thing is, and where I differ uh, from a lot of instructors, I think, in the combatives world is how we integrate sport into real life uh, combatives with weapons because there is a significant difference uh, when it comes to the tactics, not to the skill building. Do you think that maybe people who are training in this realm or this space are kind of on the same page or have a different take on things and or do techniques and moves and maneuvers? And I'm sounding very uh elementary in what i'm talking about f- on purpose uh do you think that it's all similar or you think everybody kind of puts their own twist on things or you know what do you think about that i think it's more of a universal thing you tell me i think it started out as more of a universal thing and the reason i think it started out more of a universal thing is if you look at prior to 1993 uh when the ufc came in it was all your joint manipulations uh, karate, Taekwondo, and, and that stuff's fine. They, all, all martial arts have a purpose that they all supply some sort of uh, benefit to, to humans, I, I truly believe. Uh, the problem is, is, you know, most department training programs uh, are concerned more with injury liability than skill sets. And uh, instead of giving their officers what they need to do the job safely and effectively. So if our number one goal is to not have our officers be injured in liability. Uh, we're not going to be implementing the proper training in, into uh, the academy, into you know your yearly in services if you even have any. So I, I think it was all more universal. That people have their own twists on everything, right? Like uh, people put their twists on. I'm sure someone will try to spin off of what you guys are doing um, and. I, we talk about movies, you know, so say like you have Kickboxer 1. Kickboxer 2 is never better. For the most part, anytime you have something original, uh, the spinoff of that should be better. The reason it's not is I feel like we don't figure out the why we want to get it better or we don't want to um, 
make things better by checking egos or it's my way. Like you hear this in police work all the time. Uh, that's how we've always done it. I don't care if it's, if it's uh, range. I don't care if it's DT. I don't care if it's our, how we write our general orders. That's the worst answer that we can, we can ever get is that's how we've always done it. Uh, we need to evolve to be better. And I think when we're not evolving, we're falling behind. So for me, uh, I saw what was not working. Um, the other thing with sport that we have to take out of that for the most part is rules. Like, hey, joint manipulations, they work on you and I if we're sober maybe, or if we have a low pain tolerance, or if our adrenaline is enough in training, sure, pain, pain compliance works. But uh, if you look at majority of studies out there, when it comes to pain compliance, it's only effective in law enforcement approximately one third of the time. So if we're wearing a gun belt and sending people to a fight and relying on tactics that are efficient one third of the time, like we're setting them up for failure, where the control tactic uh, studies coming back and, and data out there is somewhere more around high 70s to 80 percent so you're looking around two-thirds uh of the time it's more effective and uh efficient safer for the officers and safer for the suspects uh so that's really what kind of got me into um what works what truly works here and hey in 2003 i went to a ppct school i went to the pressure point control tactics instructor course i took that course i left there and i was like man this stuff's awesome pressure points hurt when they give them to you joint locks hurt when they give them to you and then like none of that stuff works on the street for the majority of the time the reason is is alcohol opiates mental health uh, just mindset um adrenaline pain compliance fails so then what plan do we have i remember then this work this move works all the time they were that's where they would tell us hey this move works all the time i tell people all the time when i'm teaching this is going to fail. You're going to find someone that's going to fail against. And then you have to move on, be a problem solver, move on to the next concept of training and uh, use your skill sets with concepts and then add tactics in. And that's kind of how we started building curriculum when we were teaching is build skill sets that work for what our goal is. And our goal in law enforcement as a professional, when we're going hands on, or any sort of use of force is the most reasonable amount of force necessary to end the situation. So if we have that in mind, uh, and we're talking about hands-on stuff, the main sports that we would be talking about would probably be jujitsu, wrestling, some judo, and then you, you have to involve striking as well, one, to defend it, two, uh, striking can change papers, people's behavior. Uh, it, it could give you some space, it can control distance. So taking all those things and being like, hey, what are the skills of jujitsu that we need to take out? What are the skills, uh, what are the skills of wrestling we need to put in here? What are the skills of striking we need to put in here? Uh, striking defense we need to put in here. And then adding it all together, right? It's skill sets. We build skill. Then we have to add in tactics. Like what are the tactics we're putting on here when the bad guy has no rules. We don't know how many bad guys there's going to be in the environment. Uh, what's the congestion of our space? Um, are we in a confined space? Are we in an open space? Should we be moving, creating distance? Should we be closing the distance? So 
the majority of instructors that I talk to, I try to go to as many courses as I can with good, good guys. Uh, it's difficult in our um, set of skills to go to classes where like we get something out of, but I've been to courses and there's guys that like, I, I still have in my head that, Hey, I want to take this guy's course, just see what he offers, check my ego. But we try to surround ourselves with guys that are as good as us and better than us because that's how we improve. Um, but I think the problem with police work again is going to be ego. Uh, this is how we've always done it. And they don't want to realize how poorly trained they are. So I think that's where we, we get a lot of pushback. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to back up a little bit. We talked about uh, sequels a little bit. Godfather one and Godfather two. Yeah. Which, what do you, which one do you, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a tough one, right? Like, uh, that's what I mean where they really broke that down. What did we do really well on that? Why did people like it? How do we make this better? That's how training should be. It shouldn't be like, Hey, we made kickboxer one and with Van Damme and it was really good. Uh, but we're running low on money and we need to pay the bill. So let's just throw out kickboxer two and it's, and, and it sucks. Right. Um, I feel like that's how we, we get trainers when we have a curriculum or we hand out certifications. You, hey, I'm going to a DT certification school. I know that if I just go and attend, I'm getting a certification. What, what are we putting out for a standard for instructors at that point? Um, and that's what we have to be better at. We have to set standards. And if you're an instructor, you should meet that standard. And then once you're the instructor, you should be always trying to be better than that standard. The sequel shouldn't be worse than the original. The sequel should be way better. But how often do we see that? Let me ask you this. How often does somebody need to train to become somewhat proficient in some of these things? Like, what do you think the minimum threshold is for, for uh, um, anybody to, to start to gain some skills that will be practical in the field or, or in their personal life? How many, you know, and, and then does that have maintenance to it where you have to continue to train? So my buddy Chad, he uses a formula, uh, C over T equals R. And, um, it's consistency over time gives you a result. Okay. So now if I took a wrestler at the high school level, let's say um, a senior, and I put him through a 40-hour wrestling camp, and then he never wrestled the rest of his junior year or senior year, and then I took him and I took him to a college tournament, he'd get the floor wiped with him. Right, because 40 hours of training, and then I don't train after that. I'm, I'm not going to retain that. Uh, the techniques aren't going to be good. I'm not going to be fluent. I'm not going to be able to problem solve. Or I take that high school wrestler that wrestles all year round. Uh, during the season, he wrestles three months every day. Uh, outside the season, he goes to practice once or twice a week to a club. Uh, that guy. After two years, I take him to a college and he tries out for the team and he gets on a team or I take him to a tournament. He's going to be much more efficient and effective in what he does. So that's the model that's broken. Uh, one with instructors and two with just police officers of the profession um, altogether. Um, if, if you don't swim regularly, you're not going to be able to go out and swim across the lake. You're not going to be able to go out and uh, do a marathon. If you don't run to train for a marathon, your average person cannot go and finish a 
26 point was a 26.2 mile marathon um in, in any efficient or effective time yeah what do you think that to maintain this somebody would have to commit to weekly or every two weeks or monthly what do you think the minimum threshold is for somebody to maintain it and by the way can people do this stuff by themselves to keep themselves i know i've seen these these wrestling dummies and stuff like that to keep themselves up onto uh, ahead of the game a little bit in this stuff certainly and I would say that if you're training twice a week, uh, I would say your average jujitsu blue belt trains around twice a week. If they're not, you know, competing all the time, they're just doing it for the martial art and they'll get their blue belt somewhere between maybe a year and a half and three years, just depending on the person. Uh, but if they're consistent and it's two days a week, they're going to do it. Now I would put that blue belt up against almost any human being that doesn't train and take that blue belt uh, as being able to take him down and control that person. If they're training in the right school where that school starts on their feet and they they work for takedowns, they work for dominant position, uh, they work escapes, they work to get on top. Uh, one thing with jujitsu that it gets hated on for is, hey, we pull guard and we play off the back. Well, um, that's a benefit jujitsu has if we're putting those positions. But like, even for me, when I'm doing jujitsu, I don't want to be on bottom. I want to be on top. I want to be controlling. Him. Um, but that all starts from, are we proficient on our feet? I would say time-wise, what I would like to see is law enforcement mandate departments to allow officers to train twice a week for somewhere between 45 minutes to 60 minutes on the job. Um, I know Mesa is trying to implement uh, a system to do that. I know uh, like Round Rock in Texas, they're allowed to come in uh, for their lunch break or their half hour, whatever is on the job. I think they have an hour a day They come in and they can lift, they can work out and then they go back in the road. If we could mandate them to do skill building during those hours uh, twice a week, you would see significant improvement one in suspect and officer injury so not just talking about officer safety but uh community uh, safety as well but you would see a significant improvement in those because skill building uh techniques fail if you're teaching the technique and then they don't train it for six months that technique's going to fail uh high high majority of the time next time to do it but you can do these skill building things one it's easiest to do with a partner but we also do one man drill so Take, for instance, New York State. The Department of Criminal Justice uh, wanted to redo their defensive tactics for their basic academies. They are the overseeing governing body for New York State basic academies, minus state police. They govern themselves. And then minus NYPD. Uh, that has recently changed. NYPD instructors are all going to now start following, following underneath the DCGS guideline. So... Uh, New York or NYPD has recently said, hey, we're going to start going and start governing ourselves, our own certifications. We're going to have DCGS do that. So the Department of Criminal Justice, I redid the curriculum. I wrote the curriculum for them for the Defensive Tactics Instructor School for 80 hours. And then for uh, the basic academy, it's a minimum 40 hours. And they cover all the academies in New York State minus uh, NYPD in, in New York State. Here's the problem. You 
you have 40 hours of good material, but you teach it once and then they send it down the road and you go to a department that it's not mandated that they have in-service training even once a year. Like the, I'm telling you, Dennis, I go to multiple courses a month and I teach. And one of the first things I talk after an induction is raise your hand. Uh, if you've done in-service hands-on training, I'm not talking about like use of force, standing at the desk and, and doing the PowerPoint. Now, that's our first block in the eight-hour course because it's important and you have to get that out there. Talking about use of force, documentation of um, use of force, so on and so forth. But hands-on training. Uh, and it's less than half the room. Every time, it's less than half. Now, it's starting to get a little bit better where some departments are doing like one day a year. And, you know, one day a year isn't going to make somebody good at it. What one day a year is going to do is get them on the same page with their partners in team tactics. What one guy, two guy, three guy, four guy should do. That's where that's going to get, uh, that's where that's going to start improving it on. So everyone's saying, so the nice thing about New York is no matter what department you go to, uh, minus the state police and NYPD and NYPD eventually now is going to start falling under these guidelines as well. I could go to, uh, Jefferson County on day four of DT and they say, Hey, we're teaching this and we're teaching the same thing at all the academies. It wasn't like that before. So that's an improvement. Uh, we implemented, uh, started in 2016, rolled out some pilot courses. And as of January, 2018, all departments had to start, um, putting that into their basic academy, sending all their instructors through the DT curriculum. So that's kind of what we did in New York. Uh, working start starting year four of it you know the trickle down is slow uh there's some things that if they can mandate it it would be better but again getting back to consistency dennis it's going to be i would say for police officers they should be doing some sort of hands-on training once a week yeah and and um i know that sometimes it's uh you know i i, I guess these guys have to learn to prioritize this stuff, you know? I, I think it's priority and it's ego. So I have four kids and I have a, well, I have one dog now. I put my other dog down this morning, but. Um, oh, dude, I'm so, so sorry, bro. Yeah, no worries, man. She was 12 and, you know, my wife was taking it pretty hard. But uh, so it's a cycle of life, you know, um, she's in a better place. So. I have four kids. I have a wife. I have basically like three or four jobs right now. I'm working for like three or four companies besides my, my real job. And I still manage to get to the gym on a minimum, you know, to do jujitsu three to four times a week, plus lifting three to four times a week. And it's just because I make time. I, I make it uh, part of my lifestyle. You ever hear the water theory, the hot water here, uh, heater theory? So it's, You've got everything going on in your life. You can't find time for anything. And then your, your hot water heater explodes. What becomes your top priority? You know, hot water heater. Yeah. Yeah. You got to fix it. So all of a sudden you found time to get that in and still do your things that you need to get done. And, and it makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this next question. How often are people getting hurt? Cause I think this is one of the things where these chiefs and administrators are concerned for uh, officers being injured. And to kind of parlay off of that, um, have you had people get hurt? And 
what kind of injuries are sustained, and is it better to deal with that up front versus the actual real hurt of not knowing what to do? These, these are great questions. And I, I love these questions because that is one of the big, big things. Uh, so we first talk about, hey, uh, you think training is unsafe. Well, how about we send someone with a gun, a taser, pepper spray, and ask, okay, that they, they don't know how to shoot well. They don't know how to retain it well. They don't fight well. Uh, they don't present those well. And then they don't know how to control this person. And we send them out on the street. And now they have to fight this guy when that guy picks them. Okay. So, hey, maybe we get lucky for 15 years and no one, no one try. We don't find that guy that wants to take our head off. That wants to beat us, take our weapons, kill us. But we're sending people out on the street that can't fight, let alone retain their weapons uh, and worry about the person's weapons at the same time. That's super dangerous. Okay, that's a liability to one, the officers, the innocent civilians right in the immediate area, and to the suspect. Okay, so those are liabilities that eventually should fall back onto departments and administrations for not hosting training. Of course, people could get injured in training, but how many times do we get people that get injured uh, off duty or, you know, maybe walking up the stairs or slipping on ice or, fighting on the street with someone and then they get injured and it's a minor, Hey, two person takedown. And I blow my knee out because I'm out of shape. One, um, for the majority of cops were out of shape, obviously effective fitness is really doing a good job of pushing out app stuff where they can work and get curriculums. They're doing a great job on that end. Uh, but we are talking about people that go home every day. Your average person can't fight. Now we're putting gun belts and weapons on them and expecting them to be good in a fight. Like that's dangerous. So it comes back to training and instructors and curriculum and how are we building instructors? What our number one thing we talk about in our course is your program's going to fail if it doesn't have resistant training in there. Now, the safety that the instructors have to maintain during the training, whether it's the equipment, good equipment, uh, like good mats, good headgear, good gloves. Those things are important. Uh, safety instructors. If we're just drilling, we control the pace. As instructors, I tell people, I control the pace that you guys are going. We're a drill mode. We're just drilling. Okay, now if we're going to up the resistance a little bit, then we have more instructors on the mat and say, okay, uh, Dennis is the cop. You got your gun belt on. This guy's going to be pummeling with you. And at some point he's going to go for your gun. And he's only going to give you like 20% resistance. And I'll demo that pace. This is how much resistance I want. Okay. If we're doing anything with over 50 to 75% resistant, then we always have small groups. So one group will go at a time, depending on how many instructors we have. There's always one safety officer, one instructor right there. Immediately, we talked about safety words. So the range has ceasefire. Everyone repeats it twice. We use index. So uh, we, we do a safety briefing on anybody can call index, uh, either the participants, the safety instructor, anybody watching. And so we bring 
instructors in only to be the bad guy. So we don't get the gym class hero, you know, say you and your partner are in an 80 hour DT school, and then you can finally get to go like 50, 60%. Uh, you guys are going to be going hard, right? And it might be, hey, I'm going to try to be better than this guy. Well, the instructors aren't trying to be better than you. So you have to, one, build instructors through instructor dev that have no ego when they get out there, understand they're staying the course on the pace and the goal set we want them to work towards. And then we have safety officers and safety equipment and precautions in place. So we really maintain a very 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 low percentage of injuries and i think we've had one two we've had two uh fluke injuries that one was a broken ankle during a warm-up and the other one was a torn bicep and a simple grab control to handcuffing so like when we're doing like hard super hard resistant training we don't have injuries um, not to say so, that I mean, they can't occur. Listen, I think the message to police chiefs and to administrators and training officers are, you, listen, there's risk and reward. And what we're hearing right. is we're circumventing and subduing all your concerns for comp cases and injured cops. Let's face facts, Jay. You and I both know if you send the guy or the girl who is trying to get hurt, they're going to find a way to get hurt. Yep. But let's not let's You're not right. deny people the training they need to survive and protect others because you're worried about the one or two people. You know what? You could you could figure that out. And as a leader in police work, you've got to figure it out. You've got to figure out you can't just say no. And it's just easy to say no. But what's the repercussions? You know, what's the repercussions of saying no? What's the look on your face when one of your officers is killed or you have a three million dollar pending lawsuit? Because you guys fail to train completely. You know, I'd rather show they're gonna sue you for fail to train anyway. I get that. But I'd rather show up and try to convince a jury that, like, look, we're actually above and beyond what everybody else is doing. Um, and and you know, this is what we did. And, and in light of people saying no, we we showed up and, and you might get a uh, you might save yourself some money in the long run. I'm almost guaranteed. I, I think you're almost guaranteed to save your money in the long run. And you know, we we I always talk about we refuse to train to the least common denominator. So we don't train to that person that wants to go to training to get hurt or doesn't want to be there. And, you know, one, that, that's a pretty cool point. Like uh, when we first implemented the new training at our department back in 2010 and 11, uh, there was pushback, right? There was some pushback and uh, you would get there and it was held at the gym that I train at. And there'd be guys that come, oh, my back hurts. I can't train. I can't do this. And I told the chief, I said, you know, we got three or four people, uh, maybe per session that are like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm just going to sit and watch. And he wasn't having it, you know. So he he actually told us to send them up to see him. If they couldn't train because of an injury uh, or they didn't want to, that they needed to go right directly to his office, you know, and being in a uh, 60 to 85 person department, depending on the year. Um they would go to see the chief and basically he told him, he's like, if you can't train DT, then I need a light duty notice because you're not fit for duty. Um, so then they, like then, then they played the, the card. Okay, I'll go get it. That's fine. And then, you know, four or five days later, uh, come back with, hey, I'm, I'm good to go. DT's over with. And then we had a makeup. After a year or two years of that, we not, we don't have any. We don't have anybody come in and say, I can't do this unless they truly have like an injury. 
right? So we don't have anyone now that ever questions what we're teaching or what we're instructing. He had uh, our DT instructors. Most of our DT instructors are now range instructors and all, all of them are working towards trying to become reality-based training instructors, which is like SIMS, UTMs. So we all kind of understand what everybody's teaching. Uh, it's easier to build curriculum for in-service that way. It's easier to build outlines. And, and we get a lot of good training done that way. And the reason is, is, hey, they know when we're there to train, like I teach for the state and I can go in and I say, hey, I'm a black belt. And you get guys who are like, oh, it's going to be eight, 80 hours of these guys just trying to beat us up. That's, that's not the environment that we want. That's not a conducive environment of, hey, you talked about it uh, on your live video earlier today um, when you're talking about like marching, right? So you're talking about when's the, when's the last time you marched since you got out of the academy? How many people actually march in their career? Very little, right? So like, why are we still pounding in that I'm the instructor, I'm better than you? No, we're all getting better. We're not here to hurt you. We're here to make you better and make you better instructors so that you can go out and make a profession better. That comes back on us, but we're not giving you that certification. You're going to own it. I don't think we've had an 80-hour class, maybe one in New York State where everybody's passed our DT school, and that's because there's a standard. Now, can we be better? Yeah, the model's still broken because how many of those guys are actually still training? The culture's changing. We grapple at lunch. We don't take lunch breaks. We stay and we grapple with the students. We put ourselves out there. Uh, it's not maybe the worlds of jujitsu live rolling, but there's some rounds that like we're going pretty good with each other out there. We're not, you're not trying to let the guy sub you. You're not trying to let the guy get good positions for the most part. Maybe there's some roles like guys that want to try it. We let them come out there. Yeah, we work with them. We're not smashing them, trying to submit them because I'm not getting better. Neither are they. And I'm turning them off. So again, why are we saying, oh, and driving this home that we're better than you and we're going to beat you up? Like, no, we make you work. We make you work hard. But we're working to make you guys problem solvers and better uh, instructors at the same time. And, and I think, again, that model has to somehow be mandated by states to be like, OK, our instructors need to train consistently. How, how do we man mandate our instructors to train once a week? Because if you go to an 80 hour course, I can get you up to speed where you're demoing and you can demo good. I get you up to speed where you're teaching a 10 hour block to the rest of class because the last two days of our classes, they're actually doing the teach backs. But if they don't do that now until next year's academy, how good and proficient are they going to be? Um, so I think that's where states and administrators and, you know, uh, Congress have to come in and say, we need to mandate, you know, consistent training for our instructors and for our, our patrolmen and, and our detectives. And Are you familiar with uh, New Jersey and the AG's office actually now uh, making it mandatory for our police academies here to employ Brazilian jiu-jitsu now in the, in, the, in the recruit programs? Yep. So uh, right now, I think the only one that got certified was GST um, so far. Uh, Chad, I know for C4C actually is going out to a chiefs meeting in New Jersey next week um, to sit down and talk with the chiefs about getting our the C4C curriculum uh, approved there as well. Um, they both are jujitsu 
base. Okay, let me tell you, is, you may want to bring cannolis too. You bring cannolis and coffee, you can convince anybody in New Jersey to do anything. Just so you All know. All right, yeah. I'll pass that along. Um, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it out there. He wanted me to, but I'm going to be right in the middle of an 80 hour course right up in uh, Albany, which is probably about three hours away where I'd have to get to. But, um, you know, just kind of depends on how the course goes, what my talent level uh, in the instructor course is going to be, if I can make it out there to uh, sit through that meeting with him. But yeah, so, you know, there, the good thing about that is the curriculums are putting more jujitsu into it. Uh, they're not saying one curriculum is like in New York state, if you want to be a DT instructor for your zone Academy, you have to be DCGS certified because DCGS has their own curriculum. New Jersey doesn't have their own curriculum. They're basically going to put it out to private contractors like GST, C4C, um, so on and so forth. But uh, the big problem I have with the model again is, okay, so Dennis knows he's going to DT school to get a certification to, to be certified to teach his apartment. And he trains for a couple of weeks before, gets in shape, goes, does, does what he does, pays attention, does the techniques, gets the certification, and then decides he's not ever going to train again except for when he's teaching. Like now Dennis isn't getting better as an instructor. He's actually probably getting worse. My buddy Brian Hartman calls it the training hangover. He's like, once you leave training, you start getting worse till you train again. Uh, that'd be the same thing with like you saying, okay, um, I'm going to leave the office today from case law study, and I'm not going to study any more case law for a year. Or you get, get rusty, brother. Oh, no. You, it's a dangerous yeah. road to be on. It's a dangerous road. That's, that's the model uh, that's broken for most instructors in the state, most instructors in the country, most uh, mandates. Uh, same with police officers. Hey, all right, we're going to implement somewhere, I, I would say average between 40 and 120 hours uh, is what D, DT um, Academy recruits get in, in their academies. Across the country, it's somewhere between 40 and 120, I would say, on average. So that's cool. Six to 12 months academy, you're getting anywhere from 40 to 120 hours. And then you leave that academy and your department never mandates. Wait, who goes to a twelve-month academy? Uh, there's a couple. Most of, there's a lot of them that are nine now. Whoa, um, where the fuck is that? So here, here's the scam. I think a lot of it is the ones that are run through colleges because they get them to pay for full semesters that way. Oh my god. Yeah. So like pre-employment ones. Uh, a lot of uh, more rural areas have the pre-employment academies. Um, and they're full time still, like they're Monday through Friday, but they're work running from August to like March. Okay. August. I understand. April. Yeah, so it's not like it's not like a five day a week thing. It's yeah. okay. I get you. I oh get no, you. like I know our academy here, the Chautauqua County Academy, is a pre employment academy. Most of the time, you're not hired. You put yourself through it. You pay both semesters at the community college. It's run by the sheriff's department. And um, they start in the middle of April and they don't get out till the middle of March and they go five days a week. Wow. Yeah. And they pay, they pay themselves to go. Through. Wow. Crazy. And they get college credits for it. I think they get 20 credits. Uh, oh, whoop de doo. Uh, for what? I, yeah. Don't even get me on a college chair. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but if I get on a college chair, I won't stop. It, it, it's funny, Jay. Every time somebody brings college up here and they look at me like, don't get him started. They're like, don't start. It's just like the 
anyway, Jay, where can they find your information and you and, and all that stuff? So, uh, the, my, my biggest platform that I use, and I'm not a huge like platform guy, I just started, uh, starting to be, use the social media platforms, but I use, uh, Instagram. It's at WADSBJJ. And then it's just my name, J-A-Y-W-A-D-S-W-R-T-H on Facebook and uh, YouTube. If they want to have a more of a conversation with you, what's an email address where they can reach out to you? Um, W-A-D-Z-186 at gmail.com. I I build curriculums for DT. Uh, I'm a SME, subject matter expert, uh, courtroom testimony. I've done it for the AG's office in New York State on a pretty national case as far as the Daniel Prude. I've done a bunch of civil and criminal SME work uh, throughout the state. So um, I'll already court approved for SME work in a lot of that stating, or if they just have questions on, you know, as far as like uh, use of force and GOs and how we, how we teach that. And a lot of times we use, you know, Graham Connor, you talked about Terry Ohio earlier on your, your uh, Facebook live. Um, I do a lot of the case laws for vehicle stuff because if we're going to pull people out or keep them in and it's use of force stuff, they need to know their case laws uh, on that too. So um, those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Cool, man. Hey, listen, uh, brother, I appreciate you taking your time to be on here. And um, I think people are going to find a lot of value and get a lot of clarity. And maybe there's a few chiefs that were listening to this saying, you know what? I'm going to go, do, go ahead with this program. And I realize why it's so important. So there's always some good thing that comes out of doing something like this and carving some time out of your day to be selfless enough to give other people who need to hear this stuff your time. So I appreciate it, Jay, tremendously. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, Dennis. Yeah, for sure. Check out streetcop.com for upcoming courses. Check out our Facebook group. Uh, if you like us as a company, go on Google. Give us a five-star review. Go on iTunes, please. We don't charge anything. We don't put... Uh, advertisers on here and sponsorships i deny those people generally um you know but what we ask in turn for the fee here is to stop going itunes and give us a review and a rating and we greatly appreciate it so we can continue to come on here and give you guys what we can so without further ado have a great day jay hey cheers.